Well, hi, everybody. Uh, I'm not Sam. <laughs> um, and good morning to everybody here at Tapestry Monday Park. My name is Albert. I'm the campus pastor at Tapestry Richmond. And it's always a, a real big joy to be with you and share the word um, with you. So thank you for having me. A lot has happened since the last time I came. I was talking to Sam. I can't remember the last time I was here. It feels like a little bit ago. But um, four months ago, we uh, welcomed our second child into the Wu household. Well, my, my wife gave birth, and I tried my best to get it, stay out of the way. And uh, her name is Carissa, which uh, is from the Greek charis, which is grace. We have been praying for a second child for, for years, and God has had answered our prayers. And um, right now, it's... Month four, we're still in what I like to call the valley of the shadow of diapers. And so, man, I'm not getting much sleep. We're all tired. Um, our little one, she's colicky. She has reflux. She has problems sleeping and, and all of those things. But at the very bottom of our cup is joy um, because ten fingers and ten toes, there's this new life in our household. And also that, um, you know, uh, I can also be here today on this very special day, this Pentecost Sunday. So, again, a joy to be here. And, and like that beautiful prayer that we heard earlier, um, something today is kind of like um, the birthday of the church. Right? It's Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is very much like when the church was first started. Right? And so I would say that Pentecost, it's key to our understanding of the nature of the church and the power of the church. Pentecost is key for us to be able to understand the nature of the church and the power of the church. And you know, like just like a, a birthday cake, when it's someone's birthday, like candles get lit up on the cake, Pentecost is when all the believers were lit up with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to explore what happened at Pentecost and what that means and before we dive into the scripture, before we take a look at the text, I want to set the table for us a little bit. Now, Pentecost happened um, shortly after Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. After he was crucified, he was raised from the dead. And then for a little while, he appeared before different eyewitnesses. He walked along the road with some of them. He broke bread with others. And before Jesus ascended into heaven and was seated on the right hand of the Father, he gathered his disciples together and he told them, guys, everybody, wait in Jerusalem. Do not leave until you receive the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus went on and he said the Holy Spirit would empower them to be Christ's witnesses to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples, they waited and they waited. And now let's look at the passage that describes the moment when the Spirit came down. Starting in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 1, and we're going to go to verse um, 13. And it reads like this. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place, and suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
I was going to, spirit of the living God, spirit. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, where we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So let's recap for a little bit. In the beginning, there were about, about 120 people, 120 disciples. They were in this room and they waited and they waited and they waited until one day fire fell down. And this small group of people maybe just a little smaller than the, the number of people in this room, this small group of people, they became the seeds that grew the church to where it is today. They began, began, began to grow the church in cities all over the place. And now that there is a church in London, in France, in Singapore, in Shanghai, in Vietnam, in Vancouver, in Canada, in, in all over, right? But it started in this place. And so I want to start today in this place by asking the question that was asked in our passage. What does this mean? What did this moment mean? What did this event mean? Because whatever it means, this moment is key to our understanding the church's power. This moment is key for us to be able to understand the church's engine. It shows us what continues to make us go and grow as a body of believers. And so today I want to talk about two main things. The first thing is I want to talk about how Pentecost is a taste of the first fruits of God's kingdom. How Pentecost is a taste of the first fruits of God's kingdom. And I'll talk about two ways where that's the case. And then we'll talk about how Pentecost is uh, the power of the church. Pentecost is the power of the church. But first, Pentecost is a taste of the first fruits of God's kingdom. And first, I kind of need to explain what I mean by that. What do I mean by first fruits of a taste of God's kingdom? And, and you know, I think to do that, I, I need to give us a little bit of context. You know, a lot of times when we think of Pentecost, we think of it primarily as the day where the Spirit came down. But the first thing that we actually need to know about Pentecost is that it happened during this pre-existing Jewish festival called the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks. And what the Feast of Weeks was, was it was a time to celebrate and give thanks for the first fruits of the harvest that was coming in. So the Feast of Weeks, in many ways, was a celebration of the now and the not yet. It was a taste of the harvest that was, but also an anticipation for the harvest that was to come for a harvest that would arrive later in full. And this helps us understand a little bit about what the coming of the Holy Spirit was all about. The Spirit is the first fruits of Jesus' rule and reign over all things. The Spirit 
is a taste of his new kingdom to come. And I would say that there are two tastes of God's kingdom that the people in our passage experience through the Spirit. Two tastes that the people, uh, that of God's kingdom that the people in our passage experience through the Spirit. The first thing they taste is they taste God's proximity and power. They taste what that will be like when they are in heaven. And the second taste they taste is they taste heaven's unity and harmony. They, through the Spirit, they have a taste of the unity and harmony of God's kingdom when it finally arrives here on earth. So first, through the Spirit, these believers, the first church, they taste God's proximity and power that is to come. And how I would kind of explain it or get at that is to talk a little bit about fire. Because you know, throughout the Bible, God's presence was described as fire. You know, many times, many times it's described as fire. To Abraham, God appeared like a torch. To Moses, God appeared as a burning bush. In the, in the desert, God led Israel as a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And when he came to the Israelites on Mount Sinai, the mountain itself was covered with fire and smoke. And here's what we need to know about fire. Fire can be very powerful. Right? Fire can also be very helpful. Fire can warm us when we are cold. Fire can save a life. Fire can help us cook our food. But we also need to know that we can't get too close to fire now, can we? That fire can be dangerous. Fire can burn things. Fire can devour them. And Deuteronomy, it describes God as a, what? A consuming fire. And so in the Old Testament, we read whenever God came down in the Bible as fire, the first reaction to God coming was never joy. It was never delight. People would keep their distance from the fire. People would fall in fear. People hid their faces because they knew that God was powerful. They knew that God was good. They knew that God was pure. But they also knew that he wasn't safe. They knew if they were not careful, they could be consumed. And so a very interesting thing happens at Pentecost, doesn't it? Because what happens at Pentecost is fire comes down. And then it begins to separate, right? And it rests on each and every single waiting believer. But something very strange happens. They are consumed, but they are not burned up. They are not burned up. Basically, Pentecost turned everybody into, in that room into a burning bush. Remember the story of the burning bush? It's this moment where Moses, he is tending his sheep and he sees this bush on fire. But it wasn't burning up. It was consumed by fire. But it was not destroyed. And this sight was so strange to Moses that he had to go over to this bush to take a look. And the bush, it turned out to be filled with the presence of God. The bush is where uh, Moses has this encounter with the living God. And church, Pentecost turns us all into burning bushes where we are consumed by the fire of God, but we are not destroyed by it. Instead, we have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit working inside us, refining us, helping us, empowering us without destroying us. And this is just a taste. This is just the first fruits of how near God will be to us when heaven comes in full. 
So the Spirit is the first fruits of God's presence and power in our lives. But the Spirit is also the first fruits of heaven's unity and harmony. And that's what we see in this passage, right? We see this great unity and harmony, don't we? Because here in this passage, you have all these people gathering in Jerusalem, with coming from different places, speaking all these different languages, coming for this great, great festival, and then the, the Spirit descends. And suddenly all of the believers are being understood in all of these different languages. And they're all heard declaring the wonders of God together. And the whole thing, this whole moment, what it reminds me of is, it reminds me of this, it's like this reversal of the Tower of Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel? The Tower of Babel is like this story about people who wanted to be like God. And so to be like God, they decided to build a tower as high as heaven. And it was almost like they were saying with the work that they were doing with their hands, it was almost like they were saying, God, we are equal. We are just as important as you. We are just as, should be just as exalted as you. We should be on your level. We should be as high as you are. So all of, this peop all of these people who are engaged in this building project, they wanted to be God. And in an instant, what God did was he gave them different languages, right? And suddenly there was confusion and there was disunity and there was division at the worksite and the tower was never completed. Things fell apart. It just stalled. And really, church, I think that that is such a powerful picture of sin because a way we can understand sin is that sin is wanting to be our own God. Sin is about seeing ourselves or building ourselves up to be as great as God or as important as God. But the warning attached to the story of Babel about sin is that if everybody in a community tries to make themselves their own God, if everybody ends up thinking that they are the center of the universe, if everybody ends up wanting to be their own authority, then suddenly there is no more central language in a community. Suddenly, there's no more agreed-upon standard, and the result can be confusion and disunity and breakdown. The pursuit of sin can lead to the breakdown of communities. But what happens at Pentecost? At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, it's like the effects of Babel are reversed. All the languages are being spoken, but the Spirit is like doing this work of translation and everybody, and, and, and so everybody understands what's being said, right? And nobody is focused on doing their own thing. No one is focused on going their own way. Everybody is united in praising God um, in His glory and for His good deeds. And so church, I think that's one of the key functions of the Holy Spirit. And that is that the Spirit gives us an awareness of the goodness of God. The Spirit constantly speaks to our hearts. The Spirit tells us His presence and worth. The Spirit is like a compass that constantly points us to Him and unifies us, God's people, around God's glory and power. And this unity, this harmony that we see at Pentecost is only a taste is only the first fruits of how things will be when God's kingdom finally comes in full, where all tribes and tongues and nations will be unified 
in acknowledging God and praising God and glorifying him for who he is and what he has done. So church, the Holy Spirit is a first fruits. The Holy Spirit is a taste of God's great kingdom to come. But the Spirit also empowers the church. And that's the second thing that we're going to talk about, right? Pentecost as the power of the church. And right off the bat, I want to talk about one important, one key way the Holy Spirit empowers the church. And that is the Holy Spirit helps us to testify God's goodness to others. The Holy Spirit empowers us to testify God's goodness to others. You know, after our passage that we read, Peter, who is suddenly, he, he immediately starts preaching to other people. And, and, and other people receive the gospel and they receive the spirit too. They believe. You know, and before this passage, the passage that we've just read in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says before he ascends, he says the power of the spirit will help his disciples be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit helps us to testify God's goodness to others. And it absolutely makes sense that the Holy Spirit does this. Why? Well, because if the Holy Spirit turns the church, if the Holy Spirit turns each of us into burning bushes, one of the things that means is that it means that we are all places where people can have an encounter with the living God. And the Spirit can lead and empower us to live life in this strange way that caused people to pause and draw near to the presence of God. And if the Holy Spirit is this great translator who can unify our hearts to acknowledge and glorify God, then surely the Spirit can speak through our words and actions to declare the glory and worth of God to people that we are witnessing to, regardless of the tribe they are from regardless of their nation, regardless of their background. And so church, if you are sitting here today and you're wondering, man, I've been thinking about this. I've been racking my head over how I'm going to be able to reach my neighbor. How, God, am I going to be able to reach that family member? How am I, how am I going to declare God's goodness and God's worth to that coworker? I think one of the keys is simply just to make yourself available to them and trust the Spirit to do a work as you make yourself available. One of the keys in reaching out to our neighborhood, reaching out to our workplaces, or when we find ourselves in our libraries, or whatever the case is, is to make ourselves available, to be there, to be present, to be involved in those spaces, to pray for the people that we run in contact with, and trust the Holy Spirit to do a work. Trust the Holy Spirit that we are burning bushes. Right? And so church, I hope that we're beginning to see, I hope that we're starting to see that the Holy Spirit is like the essential ingredient to the church. The Holy Spirit is like the church's battery, right? Because the Holy Spirit unifies us. The Holy Spirit helps lead us into worship of God. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit helps us to testify to God's goodness, right? The Holy Spirit is power. And as the church, our call is not to use the power of the Spirit to take us where we want, but instead our call is to position ourselves to be taken by the Spirit. You know, the Greek word for the Spirit is pneuma, and pneuma can also mean wind or breath. 
And in the passage, in a passage in the Gospel of John, it says the Spirit blows wherever it wants, right? The Spirit does what it wants to do. Our, our call as a church is not to use the power of the Spirit to take us where we want. We can't do that anyways. The Spirit's going to blow where the Spirit wants to blow. But our call is to position ourselves to be taken by the power of the Spirit. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. You know, um, a couple of years ago, I've used this example before, but this is when everything clicked for me. And so a couple of um, years ago, I was in Toronto. I'm originally from Toronto, born and raised in Toronto. Go Raptors. Amazing, right? But, okay, so I was in Toronto. This is when the Raptors really suck. Anyway, so I was in Toronto. Where was I? Okay, I was in Toronto. <laughs> and um, I had a friend, a very good friend, and he had just started getting into sailing. And so he wanted to take me out sailing as well. He wanted to bring me to his sailing club. And, um, you know, I don't know what picture in your mind comes to mind when you think of sailing club, but this was not that. Like, this was like, it was like a shack with like a couple like little, like small little boats, right? Like, this place smelled like damp and sweat, like all mixed in one. It was like, you know when the life jackets, like they're not dried properly and they like have this slimy feel to them? Like they were all thrown in this plastic drum, like it just was not pretty. But I'm like, bro, okay, like I'm going to do this for you, like uh, we're going to try this out. Right, and he, he, we got all geared up. And he brought me to this boat, and this boat, it looked so beat up. It, it looked like someone had painted over some driftwood. Like, I'm like, are we going to be okay? Do we need a bailing bucket? Like, what's happening here? What is happening? But he was confident. So slowly, we made our, our way out into Lake Ontario, and I was like, I don't want to capsize into this. Like, just let's, like, um, we made our way out there. And the wind, it didn't feel that strong at all. It felt like a regular, ordinary day. But once those sails came up, once he positioned the boat and he put those sails up, man, we were off. We were flying. It felt like we were just taken by the wind. And suddenly I felt the wind's power. I heard it whistling in my ears. I felt alive. And you know, church, my hope is that we're not a church that tries to use God or control God. But we're a church that desires to position ourselves to catch his spirit. That we're willing to let it sweep through our lives and take us wherever it wants. Because that's when we'll feel the spirit's power. Right? That's when we'll feel truly alive. That's when we'll hear its whisper. And it won't matter if we feel like we're broken or we feel run down or we feel like we're just being barely held together or we're made out of driftwood. The spirit will take us. And you know, one of the simplest ways we can position ourselves to catch the Spirit, I think one of the simplest ways is to simply to listen to Jesus' words and obey Jesus' words. That is one of the most straightforward, simplest ways that we can position ourselves to catch the Spirit, to listen to Jesus' words and obey. That's what happened in our passage, right? Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem, and the disciples listened and they obeyed, they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and then suddenly they caught the wind. Suddenly the Spirit came. And so church, we position ourselves to catch the wind of the Spirit when we listen to Jesus' words and obey. But man, so often we, when we survey the landscape of our lives 
and we look at our Bibles, I feel like so often we know what Jesus calls us to. We know what Jesus says about this thing, that thing, or the other thing. But we can think, God, if I do that, that's going to take me away from where I want to go. Or God, I can't do that. Right? I, I don't have the means. Like, or God, that's going to take me into waters that look choppy. That's going to take me to places that don't look very secure. You know, that's going to take me to places that don't look very calm. I don't feel very confident in going to those places. And so, so often, instead of allowing the Spirit to move us into where Christ is leading us, we end up channeling our inner lawyer so we can stay put. Do you know what, you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about inner lawyer? You know that voice, right? We can start listening to that voice in our heads that starts giving us every justification, every excuse, every rationalization to not fully follow Christ, to not fully listen to the Spirit's prompting in our lives. Our inner lawyer can say things like, God, you just don't really understand my situation right now. I can't really go and do that. Or our inner lawyer can cause us to say things like, you know, God, I know you're asking me to do this, but I can't go because it looks kind of foolish or it looks kind of impractical or what are other people going to think? It looks kind of shameful, right? Or sometimes our inner lawyer can just be like, well, at least I'm not as bad as this person, right? Or at least I'm not as bad as that person. And so our inner lawyer, it can find every loophole, every justification to get out of going somewhere. It could justify and excuse and rationalize things till we fully take down our sails and the wind and the voice and the presence of the Holy Spirit is just stilled and suppressed. And you know, often that's, those are the times when we say things like, God, why aren't you present in my life? Where are you? God, why don't I feel your power? You should have been doing something by now. What's happening? Right? Often, there's, there's, I have found in my life that there is a kind of corollary to that, right? And that's why I think when we, are dis when we are disturbed, you know, when our hearts are troubled, the Holy Spirit can be our great comforter. But in our comfort and in our complacency, the Holy Spirit can disturb us for our sake, right? In our comfort and our complacency, the Holy Spirit can disturb us for our sake. And I think that's what uh, the poet Sir Francis Drake is talking about in his poem, Disturb Us, Lord, when he says, Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we have arrived safely because we have sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery. Where losing sight of land, we will find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizon of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. 
Church, if that is not a prayer for the Holy Spirit to be present in our lives, I do not know what is. So church, at Pentecost, the church is born and we are given the breath of God through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us a taste, is a first fruits of God's coming kingdom. And it is also a wind. It is a power that takes us, the church, to that place where Christ is king, where he has redeemed and restored all things to himself. And so I don't know where you are today, but my prayer for you is whether you're being uh, comforted by the Spirit today or whether you're being disturbed by the Spirit, I pray that we can trust the Spirit to lead us into the goodness of life with Christ and that the Spirit can grow in us the knowledge that Christ is a king who is worth pursuing, obeying, and worshiping because he truly is. Church, truly, Christ is the king worth bending the knee. Why? Because do you know how we receive this gift of fire without being burned away? Don't you know how we can be consumed by the beauty and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit without being devoured by it? It's because on the cross, Jesus took all of our impurity. Jesus took all of our sin. He took all of the ways we try to be God and use God. And he went through the fire. He allowed himself to get burned away also that we can receive the fire of the Spirit without getting destroyed. And so church, in your times of doubt, in the times where your inner lawyer tells you otherwise, I pray that the Spirit might testify to you, to your hearts, the glories of Christ and the goodness of following him. And may the Spirit speak through you to do a work of translation in testifying and proclaiming Christ's goodness wherever you might go. Let's pray. Heavenly Lord and gracious Father, we thank you that we we gather today by the power of the Spirit. We're unified by the power of the Spirit. And we thank you that the Spirit is just not some kind of impersonal force. The Spirit is not just some kind of power. But the Spirit is alive because the Spirit is you drawn near. The Spirit is you making a home in our hearts. That we are all temples of the living God. That you have made a habitation in our our hearts. And so, Lord, I just pray that in the days and the weeks ahead, that you can continue to grow in us an awareness of you in our life that you can grow in us a trust in um, where you are leading and where you are guiding so that we might hear your voice and we might follow you. All of these things we pray in your son's most precious name. Amen.